If you would this morning turn with me to Psalm 23. <coughs> of recent days we have had several people to pass from this life to the next. And in particular, Psalm 23 is probably the most read uh, passage at funerals. And for a reason. The images here are powerful. And just as a piece of literature itself, much less the Word of God, this is a a powerful and powerfully written (coughs) psalm. Let's read here from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would bless this reading of of the Word to our hearts this morning. Bless the preaching and bless our response. Help us to respond in repentance and in faith. Trusting You, Jesus. We pray in Your name. Amen. Sometimes we don't know what we're missing. And once we do figure it out, uh, we can't go back. Bob had warned me months ago that if I ever tried DVR, I would never go back to regular television. And, you know, I thought to myself, yeah, maybe, you know. But you're right, Bob. Once you have it, and once you realize what you've been missing, it's very difficult to go back. Because just like last night, we're watching the game, and Dad's like, oh, did you see that? Nope, but I can. You know, uh, very simply by pushing a button, I can. And used to, I just have to hope that it would show up on YouTube or something. Uh, Laying that kind of illustration aside and looking toward our text here, there are some things that... We don't even know that we need until we understand that we need them. And once we have them, we know we can't live without them. This is the good shepherd. You may think you don't need a shepherd. You may have lived your life as if you don't need someone to shepherd you or a good shepherd. You may not understand the image. And so this morning I want to explore one of the most well-known psalms in the Bible, 
and see how it relates to Advent, to the coming of Christ Himself among us as one of us. The Lord, or Yahweh, is my shepherd. This is David, who is considered and calls himself even the shepherd of Israel. He's been put in charge of their protection. He's been put in charge of guiding them, of leading them. He knows what it means to lead. He's led all his life. He's been the anointed one for Israel. Remember, when he was chosen among his brothers, he wasn't the strongest. He wasn't, he didn't even look really like much of a king. He looked ruddy, red. And he would not have been chosen by Samuel on the outside externally, except for the fact that God said, I don't look on the external, I look at the heart. And so he chooses David. Saul looked kingly, David did not. And yet, David is the exemplar king, if you will, the one that defines kingship for everyone. In other words, when you get to First and Second Kings, where it talks about the kings, and when you get to First and Second Chronicles, guess how the kings are judged upon David? Were they like David? Did they have a heart after God? You know, David being king could have erased Psalm 51, could have covered up his adultery and his murder. Kings did this all the time. They tweak the record books. My goodness, our government does that. And yet, you know, we see cover-up after cover-up all the time in businesses and all kinds of high-profile cases. And yet David bears himself. That's the point. He has a heart after God. Even in his failure, he still has a heart that looks like God's. It's to not hide, but instead to bear oneself. He does try to hide for a year, and then Nathan points his finger in his face and says, you are the man, and he repents on the spot. He could have had Nathan killed. And here, the shepherd of Israel, even with his faults, says, you know what? I may be the shepherd of Israel, but there's a shepherd over me. I'm more the under-shepherd of the good, great shepherd, God. You shepherd in your life. You oversee the protection of your children, the guidance of your children, the food, the nourishment of your children. Pastors are not the only ones who, and pastor, by the way, is also a shepherding type of term. But you're a type of pastor at your house, to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your friends, to your family. We are all shepherds in some sense under the good shepherd. And the question David would ask us this morning, is he your shepherd? He says, because He is my shepherd, I don't need anything. I have no wants. I I am in need of nothing. That's a better way maybe of translating, I shall not want. In other words, I don't need anything because He's my shepherd. 
Christmas, we say, ought to be a time of giving. But in most of our minds, and especially in the minds of children, and I'm still trying to understand how to curve this, but in most of our minds, we look at it also as a time of giving, but receiving. You know, There's got to be some kind of mutuality. If I give, then I'm going to receive. Uh, just to use an illustration of our family, I wanted to get my brother a saint shirt. So I buy him a saint shirt, and we weren't supposed to be giving gifts or whatever. And next thing I know, now we have to give everybody a gift just because I broke the code and wanted to give my only brother a saint shirt because I was in New Orleans. Who would have thought? that it required now me giving. Giving ought to come from the heart, not from a code of conduct, in my opinion, but that's apparently not how the family works, and they don't see my opinion as very high. Um, We say it's a time of giving, but really it's a time of wanting. And the commercials, the TV ads, the billboards... Even when you see somebody leave with a huge thing, you just feel like you need to go buy stuff. Sales everywhere asking you to come in and buy, 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 and not give. It's a time of getting. It's a time of wanting. And we feel during this time when new things come out, new games, new gadgets, all type of new things are just everywhere, overloading our system. We desire more than what we have. We feel like the grass is greener on the other side, to use a very sheep-like illustration. And yet when we get to the other side, there's a new gadget. There's a new toy. There's somebody else who has more than me. You know, what I've, what I've, uh, think I've learned in life about things is that even the richest of people, there are things they can't have. A rich person will never have my life, my boys, my wife. Can't buy that. My house. May not be the biggest house, (laughs) but you know what? They can't have what I have, my backyard. Simple things. They may have a lot, but you can only enjoy so much in life. And the rest you just forget about. I mean, there's, there's a lot of toys that are forgotten about by my boys. There's a lot of things that I own that I don't even know I have. It's somewhere up in the attic. Stuffed away. As if I'm going to use it again. Which is why every six months or so I go through and cleanse myself of, uh, of those things. Or at least I try to. Some things I hold on to. In a time of want, David says, I don't need anything. It wasn't just because he was king and had a lot. This is deeper than that. This is at the heart level. This is even at the marital level. I have everything I need. At the child level, I have everything I need. At the self level, I have everything that I need when I have my shepherd, Jesus Christ. Notice this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Makes me always troubles me when I read it. Makes me lie down? I don't like that idea of making me lie down. What does that even mean? I thought God leads us, which is what He says twice here. Lead. 
But he says here, uh, he makes me lie down. Why is that? Probably because I'm so fidgety. Probably because left to my own things, I would be running around constantly, shaking my leg and not being still. And there are times in my life where I don't need to hustle and bustle. One of the most common responses when I ask people, how's, it, how's everything going, man? Oh, I've just been busy. It's not always good to be busy. We act like being busy is a sign of being productive. That's not the way the Bible views busyness. He makes me slow down. He makes me lie down. I mean, I can just imagine in the context of an academic center or at your engineering jobs, at school, lying down on the job. Wouldn't be a good thing. But in the middle of life, He makes us slow down. Christmas, Advent, ought to be a time where our soul isn't rushed from here to there, from this party to the next, or from this shopping event to the next, or trying to get this and trying to do that. But instead, it ought to be a time of rest. He provides rest. Now, Jackson is like me. He doesn't like to sleep. And so he tries to get out of going to sleep in every way possible. By going and peeing, by going and getting water so that then he can later get up and pee. By asking and saying that he's hungry. You name it. He's going to try to stay up, just like I do, sadly. And Jessica tells both of us that we need sleep, that we need rest. And what God is saying to some of us is, look, slow down. Don't try to busy yourself to try and define yourself. Don't try and busy yourself with something, whether it's on the phone or always doing email or always doing Facebook or always doing work. That doesn't define you. Lying down in a pasture with the one you love, spending a few hours resting, that's what you need. And so He makes us to lie down. The sheep are restless. By the way, being, you know, if He's the shepherd, then obviously in this image, we are the sheep. And that's not always a compliment. Sheep are not the smartest of animals. They are utterly dependent upon a shepherd. Left to their own self, they would wander off and be eaten. Or just simply walk off a cliff. They're not very bright. So the image here is also the point, And that is, we need someone in our life that guides us, that protects us, that makes us rest, even when we don't think we need to. And in green pastures, which means there's plenty of food. He provides our food as sheep. Not only that, He leads us beside still waters. Not a torrent, not rapids, Rapids are dangerous, which is why people get on rafts and ride them. Because that's fun to do things that are dangerous. For whatever reason. It's not fun to Jessica, but it's fun to me and my brother. Uh, which is why he goes to the Gali, which is one of the more dangerous rapids in America, and cruises down it, where people have died. Why? Because danger is fun for some reason. Maybe it's why people ride motorcycles or shoot guns. Being close to things that are dangerous is exciting. And here, sheep don't like excitement. Apparently, sheep don't need 
danger alone. Instead, they need still waters, waters that are not gushing so that you can't drink from them, but instead are drinkable, are quiet. I mean, the picture here that's painted, lying down in green pastures, still reminds me of the Windows XP background. Do you remember that little, whatever, background scene, you know, with the heel? You don't remember that? The green heel? That's what comes to mind. Peaceful. <coughs> serene. Calm. Very unlike Christmas, isn't it? You've been to those department stores recently? You know, bumping around and traffic and people that are really not that nice. This is a different scene. Advent in our hearts ought to be a different scene. He's leading us beside waters that we can drink from. Now He changes the image slightly and says, He also restores my soul. So He's using a very sheep-shepherd type image, but then He says, my soul. He restores. This is meant to restore you, to renew you. Advent ought to be a time of renewal. God is offering for your soul. Some of you have not rested in your soul in a long time. Your soul has been troubled or you are struggling or there's heartache or there's brokenness. And He's offering restoration. He's offering renewal. A a quiet place for your soul. Just as you need rest for your body, your soul needs rest. Some of you, when you sleep, your soul still is in turmoil. That's why you don't sleep very well. He's offering rest for those who are weary. For those who will follow Him and be led down, as He says next, paths that are right. Righteousness is kind of a big word for that, but basically He's saying... I'm going to lead you in the right paths. Amy said something yesterday that stuck with me and resonated with what I'm saying today. And that is, she said, I don't know how people make it through death without Jesus. I don't either. I don't know how people make it through sin without Jesus through getting yourself caught up and tangled up in the things of this world without Jesus Christ. I don't know how. I really don't. If it weren't for Jesus, I would be dead. I would be gone. I would have ended my life. I would have no reason to live. I didn't want to live at one point. I felt seemingly no reason. But Jesus. And then He pointed to my family. And then He pointed to my future family. Life is worth living because of Jesus. Because of the hope of Christ. Because He has come into the world as light to dark places. Even dark places of my life. He leads me on the right path. Why? Why does He do all this? For His name's sake. Because of who He is. That's why. Because He's the shepherd. It's what a shepherd does. This is who God is. If you'll remember, two Sundays back, we talked about the shepherd king who we read about in Ezekiel 34. And then last Sunday, we talked about the rightful king who has come in disguise. In the disguise of the flesh. He's king, but He's not king by what we typically think of as a king, which is a 
totalitarian, dictator, despot-type looking figure. No, He doesn't come as one of those guys. He comes as a shepherd king, a king that actually cares about his people. is actually concerned with you. There's one thing that Dr. Kinlaw said that stuck with me and has comforted me at times, and that is, God loves you and we all understand that, but He also likes you. He wants to be with you. We often think we're a burden to God. I often think I'm a burden to Jessica. I know she loves me and I love her, but sometimes I think, man, I hate that she got me, you know? I'm a rough guy to deal with sometimes. Most of the time, maybe. Some of you are learning that <laughs> quicker than others. And sometimes I think to myself, man, I, you know, I hate that she... Ha- I mean, I know she has to love me, and she does, and she does a great job of it, and it changes me. It really does more than, more than you'll ever know. And I know you can already see how she does, but I wonder sometimes, you know, does she like putting up with, with all of that, being patient with me? The point is, God likes us. He actually likes being patient with us. He likes being merciful to us. He likes to forgive us. It's the reason He came. And sometimes we don't even ask for it. We will literally sin against God and just try to cover it up as if we're trying to put on a show for Him rather than be honest. Sometimes in our doubts, sometimes in our anger, we're angry at other people when in fact, as the psalmist often does, get angry at God. He likes you. He would rather you come and talk to Him even angry than not talk to Him at all. Bring whatever it is you feel or have to God. He's our shepherd. Notice what he does next in verse 4. Even though, or even when, I walk... Notice that. No longer is he doing it. He doesn't lead through the valley of the shadow of death, but instead, even when I have to go through this, even when I find myself in the pits, not on the mountaintop, where the sun is always shining, where the wind is always blowing, where things are moving and you can see for miles, but instead in a valley where the view is limited, where there are shadows that are lurking and following you all around. Shadows that you can't escape. Things that scare you right out of your pants. To take a line from Dr. Seuss. Sometimes you won't want to go on, but on you will go. Though the hack and cracks howl. You remember that? Nobody? Okay. Maybe it was a bad one to go in that direction. Sometimes it gets dark. And sometimes we find ourselves in darkness. Even there, I will have no fear. Why? Because you are with me. Even when I don't go down your right path, and even when I find myself facing sin, facing death, 
facing the evils of this life, you are with me. God is with you wherever you are in your life. He is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Coming in the form of a baby, just like you came into the world. Crying for his mother. Needing a diaper change. He was fully human, just as we are, and yet without sin. And the reason he did it is so he could be with us. God has always planned to be with us. It's the reason He created us. It's the reason we exist. If you haven't connected your life to the fact that He wants to be with you, then you haven't been living life. Especially an abundant life. We're created to know and to love God. And He's gone to great extremes to do so. The story of Advent is the story of the shepherd becoming one of the sheep so that he could save the sheep. The shepherd not just using the sheep for its wool or for its meat, but instead himself being led to the slaughter as one of the sheep, leading the sheep. You are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me or give me backbone to do what is right. Comfort is an interesting term, especially here in the Hebrew, which is why it's translated here comfort or with fortitude. God is not offering just a handout or to do it for you. That's never the case but instead to give you a backbone, to give you a coat of steel to push through tough times, to go ahead and forgive and forget, to be able to love someone and give yourself to another. His rod represents correction. He will correct you as a loving father corrects. A rod was like a club that a shepherd would carry. And the other thing was a staff. You've seen it, it's hooked. So that when a sheep would fall down into a ravine, they could pull them out or pull them back over this way. It was for saving purposes, whereas the rod is for correcting purposes or for for protection. Those things comfort me. They give me strength. They give me encouragement. Do you need encouragement? Because the fact that He has come ought to be encouraging. He became flesh and blood. Just like we are sitting here, He has a body. This is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper is the fact of His body. (laughs) Which we've already sung about this morning. Not only this... He then changes the image in verse 5. He says, Now you become my host. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of enemies. Now maybe there's enemies here, around you, in this room, but there's also enemies of life. Finances can be an enemy, and often are at our house. Not only that, fear. 
anxiety. Not trusting God. Doubt. Bitterness. Lust after the world. The things of the world. Want. Greed. Laziness. All these things are sin. And all these things are enemies of our soul. And God in the midst of of a raging war sets up a table in the very presence of our enemies almost to mock them. (laughs) Almost like, yeah, I know you're drooling over killing me, over taking my soul, over death and destruction, which is exactly what the forces of evil want, what Satan wants for you. I know you're Accusations are flying all around, and yet God slowly prepares His table in the very presence of everything else that's going on in the world and asks us to sit, and He be the host. In the ancient world, the host actually was, in, uh, was obligated legally to protect His guest with His own life. So in other words, if somebody asked to kill the guest, you would have to first kill the host. You talk about hospitality. It's going to the extreme in our world, but here, this is exactly the scene. And not only is He our host, but He also honors us with oil on our head. And also, there's plenty. (laughs) I don't know if you ever asked for a refill on your drink, uh, or maybe some of you, when you're out at a restaurant, complain because you're not getting enough. You know, if they only filled up, your glass was fully empty, and they only filled it up halfway and left, you would be interested in that. If they poured it all, you know, oh, who cares? You're just spilling it out. Well, you have plenty, obviously. And God has plenty to go around. (laughs) My cup overflows. I don't need anything because I'm overflowing with blessings, with everything I need. And then notice this image, lastly. Six Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A better way of translating this is goodness or the good creation, the good order of creation, in other words, the way things ought to be, and even when things aren't the way they ought to be, God's mercy that corrects things, so the way things ought to be, the good in life, and also the mercy of God in life, those things are pursuing me. They're tracking me. They're in hot pursuit of me. I can't get away from them all the days of my life. You ever stopped and thought, you cannot get away from God? Even in suicides, you don't get away from God. You don't get away from life. That's why it's never the answer. In sin, you don't get away from God. In being good, you don't get away from God. In ignoring God, you don't get away from God. Jackson tries to ignore me sometimes when I'm messing around with him and picking on him, you know. I won't say what about in particular, because it's embarrassing to him. But nonetheless, I always mess around with him about stuff, and he tries to ignore me. But at the end of the day, He has to live with me. He sees me every day, sadly, for Him. He can't get away. Same thing with Jessica. I get on her nerves, but 
she's not going anywhere. At least that, not that I know of. And as my grandpa always says, Maddie, if you leave, I'm going with you. Goodness and God's mercy, His hesed, His covenant faithfulness are going to follow me all the days of my life. And that's what God is going to do. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dwell in God's house forever. In His body. In His tabernacle. Forever. Do you know this good shepherd who has come? Do you know what you're missing? Just as Bob warned me, once I go DVR, I'll never go back. And it's true. I'll pay the extra $5. It's worth it. Is Christ worth it this morning? Do you know what you're missing and have been missing? Have you found your Savior? Do you know the rest that He has to offer you? Do you know the plenty that He has to offer you? It's interesting here that He offers both food and water, which is exactly what the two sacraments are of the church, of the Lord's Supper and of Holy Baptism. This morning is a time again of reaffirming your baptism and coming to the Lord's table, the table that He prepares before us in the very presence of all our problems, of all our hustle and bustle, of the busyness of our lives. This morning, He goes further than just an image of us being dumb sheep, but to an image of being a guest at His table. And then finally, a family member in His house. This psalm increases in its depth of who we are. Do you know God on a sheep level? Do you know God as a guest at His table? Or do you know Him as family? He is our brother. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for this Word. As we partake of Your body and blood this morning, may it nourish our soul. May You renew both our bodies and our souls. And may we commit ourselves to You this morning and trust You with our life. Thank You for this holy mystery. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.